This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is Betsy Ward, President and CEO of USA Rice. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Bayer. Bayer recognizes the vital role bees play in our agriculture system, as well as the beauty and productivity of our urban landscapes and gardens. The Bayer Bee Care Program has been working for the care and protection of honeybee health for nearly 30 years. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Betsy Ward of USA Rice. Next, let's feed the bees. Bees pollinate many fruits, nuts, and vegetables. Today, they're facing a food shortage of their own and need better access to pollen and nectar sources. Help the Feed a Bee Initiative plant wildflowers in all 50 states to feed bees and other pollinators, because feeding bees helps us all. Get involved by sharing a bee to feed a bee. For every use of the bee emoji and the hashtag feed a bee, Bayer will plant wildflowers on your behalf. Join us at feedabee.com and on social with hashtag feedabee. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. As with other bulk commodities, the domestic rice industry is struggling against large global supplies and low prices. While 85% of U.S. rice consumption is from domestic production, half of total production is shipped to global customers. Betsy Ward, President and CEO of USA Rice, says... Exports are critical to the U.S. rice industry. Any given year, about 50% of what we produce is exported. So we rely on exports to keep the rice industry healthy. In the absence of those exports, we would probably have a lot less acreage and a lot less incentive for farmers to grow rice. So it's critical. So we think about the competition in the globe, and you suggested that there are producers who are benefiting from their government's program. Is it unfair compared to the programs that are available under Title I and crop insurance for U.S. farmers? It is unfair. It is Essentially, they are violating their WTO obligations. We have made this case with the, the previous administration, and we're going to make it with the new one. We think maybe we'll have a little bit better reception, given certainly given the, the rhetoric and some of the, the, the people and their experiences that have been appointed to key positions in the Trump administration that say, we want people to play by the rules and we want to enforce our trade agreements. So it is unfair. It is, you know, at least four or five countries are violating their WTO obligations now. USA Rice didn't have a position on the Trans-Pacific Partnership. That's correct. When we think about your markets, where are they? And, and, and what are the ones that are the most important to you now? Mexico is number one. Twenty percent of our exports are Mexico. And if you if you look at all U.S. rice production, it's about 17% of long grain, which is primarily grown in the south, um, goes to Mexico. So it's it's huge. Now, for the California rice growers, um, Japan is, is their number one market, and that's an important market, which is partially why we were neutral on TPP. We didn't see the market opening gains that we had hoped for with Japan because that market is right now very much controlled by uh, a WTO agreement that was made, you know, 15 years ago. So we are limited in terms of our access in Japan. It's it's proscribed by a trade agreement. So while press reports in Washington had suggested that the Trump administration was drawing up an executive order that would have drawn withdrawn the U.S. from the North American Free Trade Agreement, you were actually visiting with your top customer. Correct. I was actually sitting in a room with 20 of the largest wholesalers and importers of U.S. rice in Mexico, the top guys, when everybody's phone, phone blew up about withdrawing from NAFTA. And it was a pretty interesting conversation, fairly heated. Uh, 
and we we said, look, we've been <clears throat> from day one uh, with the transition team, and now with the new the new administration in place, um, some of them in place, we've made the case along with all of AG. I think has done a really good job of saying, hey, rural America is what got you in the White House, and this this NAFTA agreement is good for rural America and good for farmers. So it was it was helpful, I think, in our meetings with the Mexicans to say. We now have an ag secretary in Sunny Purdue. He was confirmed on the Monday that we ended up being in Mexico, and I think that helps because we understand that he's, at least his um, in his experiences, he's been very pro trade and pro agriculture. So I think that was reassuring for the Mexicans as well. We think of a country that is not food sufficient on their own. They're dependent on or have a relationship with another country, as Mexico does with the U.S. So one is the business relationship, and the other is the concern of having the food for their people. Which do you sense from the people that you work with in Mexico? I think you're right. I think it's both. I think that, um, you know, rice is... While not the number one staple, it is a staple. Corn is a staple, you know. So they're concerned about food security when they have become so intertwined um, with the United States on ag- agriculture trade, both importing and exporting. I mean, they rely h- hugely on our market for avocados and other other things. So, and and what you learn, um, at least what I learned, is how interconnected it all is now. So you've got systems in place, you've got infrastructure set up to do this trade, and so any disruption is is potentially damaging, hugely damaging for both sides. And from their perspective, I think uh, they are, they feel compelled to look for other sources of commodities because they are not, the uncertainty is what worries them, is if there is a border tax or if there is some sort of a a trade war um, between Mexico and the United States, what are the Mexican gov- what's the Mexican government going to do? Are they going to retaliate and raise tariffs or take an, take an action that could disrupt what is a basically, I mean, between the United States and Mexico, we are the two most free trade oriented countries in the world. And it's really, it's the, the benefits show on both sides. So the North American Free Trade Agreement at this point is set for renegotiation. The administration will notify Congress, and then so many days later they'll uh, be underway. Uh, you would hope that more of the Trump cabinet would be in place by that time. But see, what is to be gained or what is to be lost in the renegotiation of NAFTA through the eyes of USA Rice? I think that we... We accept that uh, NAFTA probably needs to be modernized, which is a term that the Mexicans, I think the Mexican trade and also the Mexican government has said, yes, we, we should look at this. It's been, what, 20, 25 years. Uh, there are, for example, there's no energy provisions in, in, the, in the NAFTA. There's, they actually did negotiate some new provisions in TPP that could maybe be brought into the NAFTA agreement. So I don't think we have a problem with that. Our problem would be if we reopen, let's say, the ag sector, where basically we're at zero tariffs now um, on both sides. And why would we want to renegotiate that? You know, what would be the benefit for us? So we would like to keep ag whole and, and do no harm on the ag sector. I think we're fine with having a negotiation or discussion about bringing it, you know, into the 21st century. But with 45 or 50 percent of the rice that you produce destined for an export market, and with Mexico being your top market, it sounds as if you have a lot to lose if you lose a portion of or all of the Mexican market. 
Yes, we do. And again, all those relationships and all that, you know, the, one of our selling points, because we're not always the cheapest um, exporter, is our reliability. You know, we're reliable suppliers. We're we're always there with a high-quality, safe product. That's that's something the Mexicans, trust me, they 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 buy U.S. rice because they, they just understand that our system of food safety is, is second to none in the world. And they don't really want to import and buy rice from countries in Asia where they don't have that safety guarantee. So, um, but yes, we, we stand to lose quite a bit. And I will say just again, when I was there, you know, these, these announcements, this, this uncertainty, you know, they've had a huge devaluation of the peso as a result of, of all this rhetoric. And, you know, the week I was there, it went down 10%. It kind of came back a little bit, but you know, these traders are saying, how do we, how do we operate in this environment when, there's, it's so volatile. It makes it very difficult for people to plan ahead and to forward commit to, to making sales. What are some other top markets for rice? Well, so I mentioned Japan. Japan is a, is a, is a high value market for primarily California rice or, although, because California grows medium and short grain rices, different varieties that are, that are grown in the south. Um, they do grow some medium grain in the south, but primarily California. And they actually grow japonica varieties that came from Japan. So it, it, it is indistinguishable from Japanese grown rice. And so that's a big market for California. So I think about trade relationships and Donald Trump has met with Shinzo Abe. And the idea is the failure of the TPP that we might be able to take what was agreed upon in the TPP and turn that into a bilateral trade agreement. And there was discussion of an agreement. Vice President Pence was there, non-committal on a date or a time or a structure. What could a bilateral agreement with the Japanese mean for your industry? We would support that wholeheartedly. And we, again, we, um, the, the commitments that the Japanese made under TPP, which are public, uh, we didn't think went nearly far enough in terms of opening, really truly having a free trade. Um, opening that market. We understand, and I will say this up front, the sensitivity of rice in Japan. And it's not just Japan, it's pretty much every Asian market. But we weren't asking ever for zero tariffs, op- free and open trade, but we certainly wanted uh, greater access to the Japanese consumer and, the, and to the Japanese customer. And so we would hope and we would encourage a bilateral with Japan and we would continue to push for what our original goals were in the TPP. How about China? Yes. So China obviously grows a huge amount of rice. They're primarily concerned with, we talked about this food security issue, but I mean, that's, that's, that's number one for the Chinese. And so they grow a lot of rice. They, they store a lot of rice, but they also import a lot of rice. And part of that reason is to, um, support the farmers in China. They have a much higher price for their rice. And so it's cheaper in some cases for them to import from other countries. We've been trying to get into the China market for more than 10 years. And the issue has been they have phytosanitary requirements. And so <clears throat> we, working with APHIS and with uh, the APHIS counterpart in China, negotiated the most strict phytosanitary agreement that we've ever been involved with, which involved you know, traps in, in mills and the Chinese inspectors coming over several times a year. We got our industry to agree, yes, we'll do this, just so we can have access to that market. So the the deal was initialed. It's never been signed. So we are in limbo, uh, and it's it's a big issue for us, and one that we're going to press hard with the new administration, that there's no reason not to just sign it. And let them, And if the Chinese want to import our rice, then they can. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's not going to, we're not going to fulfill 
every Chinese person's requirement, but we will certainly be able to sell into what has become sort of a high-end market in China of packaged rice coming in from, they buy rice from Japan now. It's, it's like a status symbol, you know, to have. And we think American rice will have the same status symbol, again, with the reputation of being safe and high quality. So following a meeting between President Trump and Xi Jinping, uh, the second level of leadership of the countries has met. And as I understand, there is a window of time, a 100 days or so, that certainly the U.S. beef producer and the beef industry are hopeful that China will follow through with their promise and import U.S. beef. Is rice a part of that discussion in the first 100 days? We hope so. We have certainly um, made that case with, again, the Trump transition team, and we will make it with the new Secretary of Ag um, when we have an opportunity. So our rice leaders in Congress know about it. I know they've been pressing it. They they have been asking those questions to the various nominees. So we will continue to press and hope that we're part of that, whatever deal is made in the first 100 days, for sure. I don't know of another administration that has concentrated so much on trade in the first 100 days. I don't know if we should be surprised about that or not. I, I agree. And I think, you know, if you look at our longstanding grievances in the international markets, a lot of what this administration is saying is exactly what we've been saying, which is, you know, free trade is good, but it's got to be fair trade and it's got to be, you've got to hold people accountable. And, and I don't think anybody's done that in a long time with some of our trading partners. And so some of what they're saying is really music to our ears in terms of having some new opportunities for, for rice farmers. So then we think back to domestic policy. And sooner or later, this Congress and the agriculture committees will come to to pen to paper and begin to write a new farm bill, a nutrition title, and an agricultural title with Title I in support. The 14th Farm Bill, how did it work for rice producers? Were you satisfied? I would say overall, yes. Um, the PLC program was one that we helped develop, and it's um, necessary for rice farmers to have price loss protection because that's really the that's really the the market driver for that uh if prices fall below the cost of production um the farmer goes out of business so this <clears throat> really was a true safety net in the sense that um it really only looked at prices we don't benefit as much from crop insurance as some of the other commodities we hope to in the future we're working on some crop insurance uh programs that will work better for rice uh, but Certainly the PLC has worked as it was intended for us. Uh, and so we would like to see that continue, I think. The other area that is really, really important to the rice industry is conservation. And we are um, some of the, the leaders in, in conservation uh, using the conservation programs to improve water quality, water quantity, uh, and also something, again, that I think most Americans don't know, which is that we provide um, tremendous wildlife habitat for for um, waterfowl and all up and down the Delta and then all up and down the Pacific Coast Flyway, rice fields are the new wetlands. They're the new, you know, artificial wetlands, if you want to call man-made wetlands. But the um, as the uh, as the natural wetlands disappear, this is where the birds go. And um, so conservation is really important, and we want to see that continue. And rest. if we think of the approval of the 14 Farm Bill, it was conservation along with agriculture and with nutrition yep. that helped to bring that farm bill across the goal line. Yeah, and you find now there's some strange bedfellows with 
conservation organizations that see the benefits of production agriculture and don't want to actually see it go away. And that didn't always, that wasn't always the case. And I think we've, we have a very strong alliance with Ducks Unlimited, which is a major conservation organization. And we actually have a partnership. It's, it's an official partnership. And so we worked very closely with them, um, on the last farm bill and we hope to in the future. So there's one other area and that is food aid. And there has been question of whether does the U.S. provide actually the commodity to the person in need, or do we provide cash? What say you? I say, in our experience, it's the commodity that should be the primary focus for two reasons, really. One is, these are taxpayer dollars going in to help feed people in need, and I think they should also be benefiting the American farmer at the same time that they're helping people who who need help. And when you give cash in these programs, there really is no guarantee of how that money is being used once it gets into the country. And if you send a container of rice, you know that somebody's going to eat that rice and or monetize it or you know sell it in the market and buy something else. But just sending cash, we think, is is dangerous for the recipient countries, frankly, for the people in those countries. Is this an administrative area or is this a legislative area? Well, it really it's both, but I think in the the administration was the one that changed the mixture of how much cash and how much commodity. So I think this new administration could fix that. I really don't know the answer to what the Trump administration's view on food aid as a whole is, but given the amount of money that the U.S. government gives to the World Food Program, for example, to support their efforts, that there should be some incentive to use American commodities when they can. Betsy, there's been quite a bit of discussion about should our Secretary of Agriculture have come from the Southeast? Should it have been a Midwesterner? Where should the Deputy Secretary, where should they come from? So do you see a distinction and a delineation from the Midwestern farmer and the Southern farmer? And how do you feel now about having Sonny Perdue as your Secretary of Agriculture? Well, I think we're happy to have Sonny Perdue as our Secretary of Agriculture, but not necessarily because of where he's from, but because he was a farmer. I mean, and I think that that, to me, is the most important thing. He understands what what these these people are going through and, and how difficult it is to uh, survive year to year as a farmer. You know, it's one of my rice farmers from Louisiana said, Betsy, every year I take everything I own and I put it in the ground. And I, I hope and pray that, you know, at the, at the end of the year I have a good crop and I can do it again next year. So for me, I think it's it's important that he understand that. I think it's great for Southern Ag that he is from a Southern state, but I don't think that, just from what I've I've read and heard from him, I think he's going to be a great secretary. Ron Moore, the president of the American Soybean Association, said he was in favor of the cotton program seeing some additional support in the continuing resolution. Ultimately, it failed, but he said what we know at ASA, that what's good for the farmer is good for the farm industry. And there are cotton farmers that raise soybeans. There are rice farmers that also raise cotton. So where do you stand on on a commodity that's also struggling? We were supportive of that as well, and we're disappointed that it didn't happen. And understand the difficulty that they're having and hope that there can be a fix. Maybe it's an administrative fix this time with with the new secretary. But, no, I think we all stand together. And one of the things that I know, talking to my colleagues in the soybean world and the corn world, is... This next go-around on the Farm Bill, we've all committed to really try to work together and to have a united front. We had some struggles last go-around, and I think it's important, given what we're up against with budget cuts, et cetera, that ag stands together always. So we're, we're committed to that. Betsy Ward, you have a busy schedule, and we want to thank you very much for taking time to spend with us here on Open Mic. 
it is open mic, and you have an open forum. Well, thank you very much. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, I think, you know, I have to say that uh, this has been a challenging couple of months for those of us who've been in Washington and see see how transitions work. But I'm feeling very positive now that we have a new Ag Secretary. That's really important to us, obviously. So we really look forward to working with him. Um, obviously, my number one job is to keep my farmers farming and keep them profitable if we can and avert disasters uh, um, if we can. And again, I mentioned that there, you know there's been some really terrible weather both in California and now in the, in the Mid-South. So we're concerned about that. But we've got some great champions on Capitol Hill, and that's really what my organization exists to do, which is Everything that affects the rice industry we work on, and so that's why we're here in Washington. That's why every day we're talking with folks about our issues, and um, I think we're optimistic that we can maybe with a new trade focus of the Trump administration maybe make some gains in some of our international markets as well. Our thanks to Betsy Ward, President and CEO of USA Rice, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Bayer. Bees play a vital role in our agriculture system and are an important contributor to the beauty and productivity of our urban landscapes and gardens. Since bees help pollinate much of the healthy foods that we eat, they're important to our food supply and to our lives. That's why the Bayer Bee Care Program has been working for the care and protection of honeybee health for nearly 30 years. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Dowling.